uh, you know, I buy bras for my wife, right? Like, bras are mad expensive. You know what I'm saying? They're mad. I'm like, yo, like, you know. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. You're listening to the Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Stay fly. Two, one, it's your man DJ Seiko on the Fly Guy Podcast. I have my man Dan Trez on me. Peace, Aki. Peace, Aki. Peace, Aki. Aki, peace. All right. And I have, uh, I don't even know what to call you. I want to call you Sam, Big Sam. Either uh, one either one works. Just don't call me mother. Sam, Sam. Okay, by the way, this show is not going to be PG. It's going to be not safe for work. But tonight we're going to talk about intersectionality on uh, intersectionality. Give me like a working definition. Again, let me just say that like I was telling you guys earlier, it's not a new idea. It's just the concept that everybody has different identities that intersect, right? And I can, the best analogy I could give you is you might have someone who is, for example, black. They might be, they also might be poor and they also might be immigrant, right? So they have different identities that intersect and how different forms of oppression affect that person, right? So, for example, if that same individual was living in Harlem and there was somebody that was black, black, you know, black, they're going to look at the police differently, right? That person who's an immigrant might look at being deported. They might worry about that, right? When someone is poor, they might worry about how they're going to get their next meal. Or So it's not just, not just dealing with race, it also deals with gender, it deals with class, it might deal with somebody's physical ability, like people that are disabled. And also, it'll deal with sexuality and, and gender, right? So, someone who's gay and black, um, someone who's female and black. So, it deals with those things intersect, right? Now, again, those are not new concepts. Um, again, we can talk about Angela Davis, Anna Cooper, but uh, Kimberl Crenshaw in 1989 coined the actual term intersectional theory. And that's the idea of how these different types of discrimination interact depending on individuals and groups as well. Okay, okay, okay. And the reason this all came up is because in our last conversation, we talked about Black Lives Matter and how their agenda shifted from simply being focused on the overreach of police, police brutality, to including other issues as well. And I said I thought it was a mistake. And yes, I remember that. Was, yeah, I remember that conversation, yeah. Yeah, any movement that doesn't have intersectionality is a movement I don't want to be a part of. Correct. Why is this important, man? Well, I mean, why would you say that I don't want to be a part of a movement if it doesn't include all of these layers? You used to always say that. Lucha continua, right? The struggle continues. Okay. Right? Yeah. So a good example, I mean, the best example I could give is um, the discussion about immigration, right? The discussion about undocumented workers, right? And we, we, are in the best, we are in the best position to help because when it comes to the freedom rights struggle in this country, black folks have been at the forefront. Right. Um, when it comes to whether it's about women's rights, whether it's about um, um, suffrage, black people have been at the forefront. Right. So it's one of those things where it's just the right thing to do. Right. It's just the right thing to do. Most people that are immigrants in this country are people of color. Right. We can we can dice it any which way you want. So it's going to affect people of color. Right. People in the African diaspora. Right. No matter how you dice it. So that's just one example. Right. Another example would be. There are a lot of black folks who are in the LGBT community, right? And a lot of them actually were in the civil rights struggle. We're in the black freedom rights struggle. We're talking about Bayard Rustin. Were you talking about James Baldwin? Were you talking about um, Angela Davis? All of them were involved in that struggle. So it's just, again, that's where intersectionality comes in. 
not only am I black, I'm also, you know, gay. Not only am I black, I'm also poor. Not only am I black, I'm also crippled, disabled. Um, crippled is like a slang term for disabled. So there's all these different things that intersect. So it just makes sense that once we finish working in this side, we need to continue the battle somewhere else, right? All right, all right. I got to stop you, man, for being such a progressive brother to use the term cripple. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, crip. I didn't say cripple. Crip. Oh, that's even worse. All crip, right. like C-R-I-P, like yeah, like crip, like you know, not like community revolution and progress. No, this is like crip, <laughs> like yeah. So yeah, but see, man, I'm still thinking that like when I. When I looked at the platform for Black Lives Matter, initially, when they were simply dealing with police brutality, I thought they were really focused. When everything else ended on their agenda, and I understand why, but everything else added on their agenda, it seemed to me like the message got muddy and they became less impactful. And that's why I think intersectionality, even though the concept is great, might be something we need to take into consideration, I think that in its practical use, it dilutes too many of our messages. But I might be wrong. You know, I'm still growing, like I said last time. <laughs> I mean, we I mean, we have a historical framework for it. Okay. Right? Um, the Black Panther Party for self-defense. It's a good it's a good example, right? When they first started, they dealt with specifically police brutality, right? Then they were like, you know what, we the revolution has to be more than that, right? And they started dealing with well, depending on what chapter you were in the country, right? Some of them had a free sickle cell anemia program, right? Where they gave you, they dealt with sickle cell. Some of them had a free food program, right? Where they gave free food to the community, right? Some of them had a free shoes program, right? Some of them had a free breakfast program. They started a free breakfast program. They expanded, they expanded because they said the revolution is broader than just self-defense, right? The revolution is, has to deal with so many different levels because they are, we have to meet people where they at. So for example, in Oakland, and in California, L.A., police brutality was a big issue, right? Whereas in Chicago, the issue wasn't, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't there, but they had different issues in Chicago. Same thing in New York, same thing in, say, Connecticut. They all had different issues, and the Black Panther chapter in that area, they had to deal with that particular issue that was dealt with the people, that initial response. I'm going to give you another example, the Occupy movement, right? As many problems that it has, right? What they were doing, and if you go to San Francisco, the Occupy movement dealt specifically with homelessness. So no matter what part of the country you were at, that chapter dealt with what was the people was impacting the people of that community directly. And that's just kind of the same thing that Black Lives Matter does. But I, I don't know, man. When you added the LGBTQIA focus in the Black Lives Matter, it seemed like it really diluted to me. And it also seems to me like whenever we start something that's dealing with our problems with the system, somebody else tends to pop in. And it just, it just to me, it throws it off. So it, it throws it off. I don't think we need to add anything else into our movements. I think we need to focus on our movements. If the problem is police brutality, even though we might have this group join in and say, hey, we're in solidarity with you. To change our focus to become so broad, I think in many times we just, it's, it's a mission creep. And in, in the not-for-profit organization sphere, they call it mission creep. When you start off in this direction, you're working on this, and you say, you know, this is a part of the problem as well, so we want to include this, and then your mission becomes so broad, you lose support. And they kind of lost me. Okay, I hear you. And, 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 that's, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be like elitist. I'm not trying to be funny. 
But if, again, again, where is our commitment at, right? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. If we really say that we're for liberation, we really say that we're activists, and, and I'm going to give you a good example. I'm going to give you a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Abu Jamal's case, right? Thing. Everybody, there was a lot of different groups that were involved, a lot of allies, a lot of people that had the same issues, particularly with, and you had a lot of people that were like anti-death penalty. They weren't anti-prison industrial complex. Um, they weren't anti-harsh sentencing, right? They, you know, they weren't, ex- they weren't initially for, well, he needs to get a retrial. They were just saying, we're against the death penalty. So when the state of Pennsylvania said, we're going to take them off death row and put them in general population and just give them a life sentence, they lost a lot of their support, right? Because again, they were for, they were just for one particular issue, which was we're anti-death penalty. We got our victory. This is what we wanted. We're satisfied. We're going home, right? Um, and they lost a lot of support, right? The entire group lost a lot of support. Now, they did. They did. They, um, and um, a lot of celebrities, there was a lot of celebrities, a lot of people that, you know, that had a lot of political clout that were against the death penalty. So once they took them home, they went home. They, they picked, they packed, they packed the tents and they went home. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that their mission was clear, right? We're anti-death penalty. And when they came on board, their, their mission, what they wanted to do was, this is what we're going to do. But again, the question is, this is where intersectionality comes in. Like, just because you take away the death penalty doesn't mean the death penalty is over for everybody else, right? The death penalty is part of the prison industrial complex, right? And part of the prison industrial complex also includes disparities in sentencing, right? On discrimination of black and brown people, um, the discrimination of women, um, not giving them full um, access to medic to to, um, to health healthcare issues, all those things, all those things are included in the prison industrial complex. So we always have to ask that question: Where do you draw the line? Because if you just say I'm only anti death penalty, then are you against racial discrimination in the prison industrial complex? Are you, are you against racial disparities with the sentencing? All those things that you know the, the, the school to prison. Mm. We, we need to look back and start asking ourselves, is this person really an ally? Well, yeah, that's true. I think with when it comes especially to intersectionality, I think it's important. I think for especially nonprofits, I understand what you're saying, because the company I work for, they're a nonprofit. And so, of course, now they at one point had one particular vision, but now, of course, they did many things. And now they're like, oh, God, we do so much. Well, we can't do that. And now the organization is restructured. But I think when it comes to civil rights, the struggle becomes different and it becomes important. Like, as a black man, I can connect with you all about racial discrimination, but I'm also a gay man. So discrimination for me is on another level that other people won't experience. When you're talking about intersectionality, you're really talking about a person's individual experience. And I like what you said before about, especially with deportation. See, that's not something that we have to deal with. That's not something that's in the forefront of our minds. But for other people, it is. And so I think that you have to have intersectionality know that as an organization you represent a certain sector of people. Now, for me, for example, the human rights campaign, therefore gay rights or whatever, but they, in my opinion, represent more white men who are gay and white women who are lesbian. 
they don't normally represent us people of color to the point where it was mentioned a couple of years ago when they started this outreach. But again, this organization represents a certain section or certain aspect of people and it doesn't represent all of us. So I think that intersectionality is important because as an organization, no matter what it is, you have to be clear about the people that you represent and the layers of discrimination. And also like what you said about classism. Because black men don't don't um, experience the same type of prejudice or discrimination that women do. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so how is it different? What do you mean? For women? Yeah. Well, we know that we know that women get paid less than men. So if if me and a, and a woman, if we she and I have the same educational background experience, and we go to apply for the same job, right? Well, I'm going to get paid more than she does. That's across the board. That is across the board. That is definitely across the board. She don't get paid more than she does. You know, here's another example. Um, I, you know, I buy bras for my wife, right? Like. Bras are mad expensive. You know what I'm saying? They're mad. I'm like, yo, like, you know, yo, I'm, I know it sounds crazy, but it, it is. Here's another example. Per capita, women pay more for clothes than men across the board, right? To the point where I'm like, yo, why don't you just buy men's parents? Like, you know, like, I know that they're not going to look good on you, but it's just, I mean, we, I could go on and on with the discrimination that women get over men. Um, and, and I want to piggyback off of something what Sam said. Um, if I'm a if I'm a black man and I'm for the liberation of black people, then that should include all black people, right? Whether you're gay, lesbian, whether you um crip, whatever. Like it, it includes everybody. I should not leave anybody out. Because if then that's the case, then I should be honest and say I'm for the liberation of just black men, right? Um, or I'm for the liberation of just immigration, right? Immigrants, right? So I have to if I say I'm for that, I gotta include everybody in that umbrella. Right. And see, I just think that in focusing on so many things at once, we just don't get anything done. When I look at what happened with some of the legislation that passed through, um, let's say let's go let's go to the uh, American freedom. I can't even think of what the term was, but it was the freedom to marry whoever you wanted. You know, um, um, I can't think of the term. I can't think of the term, but. I didn't see I didn't see intersexuality intersectionality there. They were like, "Yo, we want this right." They didn't say we want to make sure also that these police stop um, beating up on these kids who happen to be of African descent. They didn't say also we want women to get paid on the same level as men. They said, "Hey, we want this right." I didn't see intersectionality there. So it seems to me that when we push things to our concerns that are specific to people of African and indigenous descent in America, everybody wants us to bring everybody else in. But when they're focused on things that impact their agenda alone, they don't bring us in. And that's and no, but no, but nobody said that was nobody said that was intersectionality. Nobody said that was intersectionality. Nobody said that. That's my point. Yeah, nobody said that. Yeah, so so, so and, and, and you and you have a, you have a great point, and I think Sam V already pointed that out. You know, he pointed out in a particular organization that they stand for gay rights, but they only mean white men, men and women. They don't include anybody else. I think he pointed that out. Already. Yeah, yeah, and so that's one of the problems I have because I think their example might show that to be successful, you have to be laser focused. 
And I would say that when we bring everything in, we don't become laser focused and we didn't have the same success that that legislation movement had. Well, I think I think when we talk about white supremacy, I think we should we should never like when we talk about white supremacy. Right. And we always end up blaming ourselves when actually it's white supremacy, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. Right. They, they're the one white supremacist, capitalist, hetero patriarchy. Excuse me. Right. So like they're the ones that they get down like that. When they say when they say gay whites, they just mean white people, right? When they say immigration policy, they just mean white people. When they say they just mean that's white supremacy talking, right? That's not intersectionality. When they say feminism, they mean white white women, right? So when they say LGBT, they mean white LGBT. So um, that's not intersectionality, and I think a lot of us point that out all the time. Uh, we say that hey, you guys are just talking about yourselves. You're not including us, right? So. Um, I think, and I, and I think that it's great that we go out there in the corner, but we should never blame our. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I just think that if there's a winning strategy, we should follow that same winning strategy. And I think we got a lot more done when we followed that strategy. During the civil rights era, there were a lot of other uh, concerns that were afoot. And unfortunately, we did focus on. <laughs> inclusion and we should have focused on empowerment but my point was when we were laser focused our community were able to achieve legislation that moved things forward mm-hmm. so that's just well, well, well and I'm, I know I'm going to get too deep on this um, but I think when it comes to the civil rights movement we always look at it from one lens right and that's the idea that the civil rights movement was this one homogenous movement like we always look at it as it was just one big movement and one person, Martin Luther King, was in charge. And that is okay. a bad world view. Yeah. That is a horrible, myopic view of the civil rights movement. Right. The civil rights movement was heterogeneous, meaning there were several different groups around the country organizing in their regions, in their states, in their cities at the same time. Some of them collaborated, some of them didn't. Some of them national organizations, some of them didn't. And they all had different agendas according to where they lived at, right? So, for example, if I lived in New York City, what I fought for is different than somebody who lived in, in Louisiana or Florida or California. It's just, it just makes sense. Like, it just, it just makes sense that the, what I fight for is going to be different. Now, we on the same team, right? And I might share information. I might collaborate. I might not. But if we look at the civil rights movement that way, right? Then we, we see that there's a lot more victories and there was a lot more work that was done and a lot of stuff we can learn from. Whereas if we just say it was just the Freedom Riders and Martin Luther King, then we're doing our ancestors an injustice. Right. Hmm. You see, when we talk about intersectionality and focusing, and I understand what you're saying, Seiko, and it is important that we... That I think we as black people, you have to have an overarching theme. But within that, there have to be layers to it. Yeah. We have to deal with discrimination. We have to deal with prejudice. We have to deal with gender. Because at the end of the day, we know we live in a society where men are viewed one way and women are viewed another. I mean, we don't want to get too deep, but I mean, even sometimes oh, oh, yeah. to a point can actually be kind of sexist. You know, the fact that, you know, a man has to do this for a woman because she can't do this for herself, that she's supposed to be in this place 
and a man has to do something. Well, this is what a man does, and this is what a woman does. And it's like saying, well, women are weak. They can only do this, this, and this, and men can only do this, this, and that. And so sometimes I think rights and moving forward, we have to have one thing, which is equality. And I think what you said is important is empowerment. I do think that integration really, really messed us up. If you look at other people of other ethnicities, when they come in, all right, yeah, they may get a job, they may do whatever, but they create their own communities. And I think it's important for us to do the same. Okay, okay. It's just that sometimes, I think we sometimes look through, we look at our African-American community through a white lens. Yeah. I think that we have to stop doing that. I think that we sometimes judge ourselves based on the judgments that they tell us we're supposed to judge ourselves. There are plenty of us Black people who are doing certain things, who are trying to build community, who are doing positive things, who are graduating from college. I mean, we're even seeing, I'm seeing stuff where they're like a grandmother, she was 84 and went back to school. Like we are doing things and we are moving forward in a positive direction, but we have to stop looking through that lens. I'm gonna tell you this, this may not be PC and I'm not a world traveler, I don't know everything, but I'm going to tell you this. There's always two types of people. They're regular folks, and then there's them motherfuckers. (laughs) I don't care what society it is. They have them motherfuckers. Those who don't act right, you can't take them nowhere. Who act a fool, who fight the drop of a hat, who get mad over stupid stuff. Every society has it. I don't care what no one says. And they try to hide stuff. So I'm going to tell my little stuff because I, I was in the Philippines for about three months, like a couple of years ago. Right, right. It was one of the best experiences because I saw, I'm like, wait a minute, y'all got ignorant. <laughs> had their own version of the Jerry Springer show. Now that stuff was hilarious. This they anyone will tell me what to do. We in love. I saw all types of stuff. What I'm saying is we have to stop looking at ourselves through this type of discriminatory lens and start seeing ourselves for who we are. Of course, we always gonna have love and hip hop folks, but every culture has it. What we have to do is start focusing on the positives. And I think that's why the Black Panther was so important. And I know there's some people who have their issues with you. And you know what? I don't give a fuck about them. I'm gonna say this. <laughs> As a black man, first of all, I love comics. So I'm a comic geek. So me seeing it, I got all emotional and teary-eyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me was, I saw portrayals of Africans and African-Americans in a positive light, which is not something you see. We've seen so many movies like Boys in the Hood and everything else, everybody a drug dealer, everybody living in the hood, everybody doing this. We don't have those positive representations. And I think it's important that we stop looking for white people to give us a narrative. We need to start commanding our own narrative. That's why I feel like, especially with the Monique situation, I feel like I'm not saying that gender bias and color bias doesn't exist. It definitely does. But the real thing is, why are we looking for people to do stuff when it's time for us to create? 
in this time and day and age, we have the power to create our own. We have the power to. Mm. 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 We know we live in a society that judges us just because of how we look. But that ain't stop our ancestors, and it damn sure ain't gonna fucking stop us either. We can't let that stop. All right, well, um, we have two minutes left. No, I'm sorry. All right, look, I have the free version of Zoom. Salute to my people at Zoom. Got a good product. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, So, Sam, your last words, Danny, your last words, and I'll hit the tail end. Now, I, I talked a little bit. I'm going to let Danny go first. No, good, Sam. Good. Good. My last words are this. We have to pay attention to intersection. Hmm. Look at each person and from an individual standpoint. You know, my standpoint is being black and being gay. And so having to deal with the world, my lens is different. Because while... Dan can walk with his wife and be cool anywhere. Mm-hmm. If I walk with a dude, I have to be ready to fight. And I have to know that today, depending on how some other motherfucker feels about me, could be my last day. Mm-hmm. I got to be real about that. That's my reality. But that's not everything. Mm-hmm. And it has to be talked about and addressed. And, and, I, and I second everything Sam said. You know, I, I, I commit myself to my community and there are all kinds of people in my community and I have to respect their humanity and their dignity. I have to treat them with dignity and respect that they deserve. Um, and and their fight is my fight, right? I have, for me, I have a different type of privilege than Sam does and I have to recognize that privilege and I actually have to use that privilege in defense of him and, and, his, and, his, and, his, and, his, and his folks. So... I have to I have to deal with intersectionality or I cannot say that I'm an educator or a fighter. All right. Well, my last words are I'm still growing. Okay. <laughs> I'm still growing. I like that. And uh, that's the fly thing about being fly. So uh, thank you guys for being on the Fly Guys podcast. Uh, intersectionality. I'm still growing. So I'm not sure if I'm with the either one of y'all right now, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. All right, but until then, what kind of family? <laughs> I got to hold my phone, so. <laughs> All right, y'all, peace. All right, y'all, peace. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the elementary genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Chris Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com.